This morning we continue a series we're calling On the Third Day because Easter is too good of news to be celebrated only one day a year. Amen? Amen. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything, if we'll let it. On that third day, hope was born, forgiveness was made available, new life was made possible. It's because of Easter we know that history is going somewhere. It is not just an endless cycle of repeat, like Groundhog Day, which is good news after the year we've had. Amen? Amen. My gosh, it's such good news to know. History is going somewhere. And this morning, I want us to think together about our relationships, our relationships with one another, and what Easter has to say about our relationships with one another. This past year, due to physical distancing, our inability to travel, uh, racial injustice, political tension, they have strained a lot of our relationships, haven't they? Our relationships may not have ever been strained like they have before this year. What does that mean for us? And what does it mean for us as third-day people to work toward healthy relationships now? There's a scene, maybe you've heard it before, there's a scene in the scriptures in John chapter 21 that gives a brilliant illustration, an incredible image of what it means to work toward healthy relationships in light of the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 21. If not, we'll follow along on the screen. We read in verse 2, John 21 verse 2, that Simon Peter, Thomas, remember last week called Didymus, doubting Thomas, right? Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the disciples were all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sounds similar? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but Jesus' disciples did not realize that it was him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? The literal Greek would sound a little bit more like children or or even like lads. Notice the assumption, even from the shore, even from a hundred yards away is, it's not going well for you. You're still out there early in the morning. I don't see any nets full of fish. You haven't come back to shore yet. Jesus can tell they're still out there and, and they've had a failure of a night. No, they answered. And he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. Now, um... They can't tell it's Jesus quite yet. So just imagine the scene with me for a moment. Imagine how that sounded like to a group of experienced professional fishermen. It would be like asking a plumber who is upside down under your sink if he's tried tightening it with the wrench. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? It would be like nudging your attorney. Hey, do you think maybe you should object to that motion? But... (laughs) When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And this is true. Throughout the Gospels, the disciples never catch fish without Jesus' help. Have you noticed this? Not once. Of course, they must have caught fish at one time or another. They were professional fishermen. They were taxed at 40% for all the fish they caught. It went over to the fish company to pay the bills. But the gospel writers never tell us any of those stories. Never tell us the stories when the disciples catch fish without Jesus. The gospel writers only tell us about the times they couldn't catch a fish, and Jesus showed up, voila. Why? It's like Jesus tells them at one point, what does he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And he keeps on trying to reiterate that. You guys, your nets are empty. You've been out there all night. It's not working without me. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Thank you for putting your clothes on, Peter. The other disciples followed in the boat. They towed behind a net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring in some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, John tells us. But even so, with so many, the net was not torn. Again, John is trying to connect some dots for us here, isn't he? Like Brian's prayer for us earlier, that we would be a church unified around the gospel, unified around sharing the good news of Jesus. The net was not torn. It was not broken. They were all there together. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Come on. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Why? Well, they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was Jesus. So Jesus came, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus turned and said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him that third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, again, feed my sheep. Bible teacher uh, Bill Creasy once said that the book of Revelation is easy to understand. You just have to understand the first 65 books of the Bible first. And, and then <laughs> Revelation is a piece of cake. And the same is true for a passage like this one. In a way, there are, there are numerous illustrations to other passages of Scripture and the disciples' prior interactions with Jesus. This is a kind of epilogue to John's gospel where he ties up some loose ends. Notice the similarity to Luke chapter 5, the passage Sam read for us a few moments ago. The disciples have been fishing all night. They have caught nothing. In each of them, Jesus gives instruction on where to place their nets. In each of them, Peter responds suddenly and spontaneously. The nets are full of fish. And then Jesus calls Peter to a deeper level of discipleship a renewed relationship. Now, we know next to nothing about Peter in Luke chapter 5, but by John 21, we know a lot more, don't we? Think of all the different strands John is trying to tie up for us in these verses. We know Peter was the unofficial spokesman for the group, if not the de facto leader. We know that Peter once kept his eyes on Jesus so well that he walked on water. We know that Peter was the first to declare that Jesus was the Messiah, sent from God. We know that Jesus renamed him from Simon to Peter, the rock, declaring that on his confession, the church would be built on the rock. Peter and Jesus must have enjoyed a deep, abiding friendship over these years. 
In each of these interactions, we see a growing connection between them. Now, scientists will tell us, therapists will tell us, um, counselors tell us that, that our lives are filled with what they call bids for connection, that we are constantly trying to connect with one another. It starts early on. Tiny little babies have bids for connection. That's why they cry. They're looking for connection. There's an author named Shauna Nequist. She tells the story of her four-year-old son, Mac. She says when Mac wants a hug or a kiss, he'll fling out his arms wide and he'll say, bring in the love. (laughs) In a deep voice like he's a radio DJ, she says. And then you scoop little Mac up and he pats you over and over on the back and he says, there it is. There's the love. There's the love. See, that's a bid for connection in a four-year-old voice. There's the love. Bring in the love. Jesus constantly offered bids for connection. Think about the bids for connection just to Peter. What does he say? Come, step out on the water. Just keep your eyes on me. He asks Peter, who do you say that I am? When Peter responds, he says, well, on your confession, I'll build my church. Time after time, bid for connection deeper and deeper. When a bid for connection is accepted, a relationship will grow. When a bid for connection is rejected or ignored, a relationship will stall. Enough of those bids for connection ignored or rejected, and a relationship will wither. Here's an example. (laughs) In my home, our dog speaks English. And pretty well, by the way. Um, He has an incredible vocabulary. He has a pretty high, raspy voice. And he often makes very cheesy jokes. If our dog tries starting a conversation with another member of the family, and it's ignored with a roll of the eyes, my son is 10, by the way, or if it's rejected, dogs don't really talk, my daughter is 7, by the way, that bid for connection with the dog is lost. And a kind of tension is introduced. If that bid for connection is accepted, however, a rather fun conversation may ensue with an 11-pound rat terrier who makes dad jokes. Peter and Jesus enjoyed these bids for connection, but Peter was also a reactionary. He was rash. He was reckless. Remember the time Jesus is arrested and he takes out a sword and cuts off a man's ear? Kind of reactionary. That very night, Peter went on to warm himself by the fire, and he was asked three times about his association with this Jesus, and three times, time after time, he denied Jesus. Time after time, he denied having those bids for connection. He denied knowing this Jesus as one of his closest companions. In a way, Peter is like the sheep in this video I saw this week. Have any of you seen this? It's gone viral. Um, This is Peter for you. Wait for it. Can we agree? Peter. Slow motion. Yay, I'm free! And I'm stuck again. 
in a way, that's Peter, right? The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He pulls me out of the dumb ditch that I got stuck in again, and I jump in it all over again. Um, if that's not the perfect image, if that's not the perfect illustration of our propensity to go against God's desires, to go against God's bids for connection. I don't know what is. Jesus comes to us. Jesus frees us. Jesus lifts us out of that ditch that we've got ourselves caught in again and again and again. And give me five seconds, I'll do it all over again. Anybody else? Peter keeps jumping into that ditch. He keeps denying Jesus time and time again. So at long last, Peter gives up and he just returns to go fishing. Throws his hands in the air. I'm just going to get stuck in the ditch again. I have to wonder about his frame of mind at this point. Um, Peter knows the resurrection has occurred. He saw the empty tomb. He met with Jesus in the upper room. But is he convinced his failure is too great? Does he think his future is lost? Was his denial of Jesus unforgivable? Can there be no bid for connection? It was a fun three years, but now it's over. Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam. I just keep jumping into the ditch. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been convinced of the good news of God's love. You are sure of the promises of Scripture. You are certain of the good news of the gospel, but you keep jumping into that ditch. One author describes Peter's fishing as aimless activity undertaken in desperation. Aimless activity undertaken in desperation. Another says the seven are rather sedentary. They're transformed by their experience of Jesus, but they're continuing to live an ordinary life. They are back to fishing like they had been before they ever met him. In other words, there was an Easter Sunday, but now they've got a case of the Mondays, right? And it's that much more incredible than that Jesus intentionally repeats that earlier interaction of the miraculous catch. Jesus provides for them like he provided for the crowds with the loaves and the fishes. Jesus makes a fire like that night Peter denied him. It's been said that the sense of smell evokes emotional memories more powerfully than any other sense. And Jesus is doing this on purpose. Jesus wants to offer a bid for connection. Jesus is holding out his arms, saying, bring in the love. Peter brings along his outer garments, though. It's as if he's shielding himself, like when Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden. It's no mistake, Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. Simon was his name in Luke 5, before he confessed that Jesus was Messiah, before Jesus renamed him, before he left his nets, before he walked on water. But now he's back at those nets. He's back in that ditch with a case of the Mondays. He's no longer Peter. He's no longer the rock on whom Jesus will build his church. He's just Simon. In The Fiddler on the Roof, the main character, Tevi, tries processing a strange new world in which his daughter would marry a man, not because of a matchmaker, but because of love. Do you remember the scene? Two of us, good. Okay, I'll tell, you, I'll tell the rest of you how it goes. He, he doesn't understand. He and his wife were set up by a matchmaker and, and married, but now his daughter gets to choose who she marries because of love. And, and as, as if all of a sudden bashful, he asks his wife, Goldie, Goldie, do you love me? You remember what she asks in response? Do I what? 
Do you love me? Second tenor, four years, high school choir. <laughs> Thank you. Now, she tries to evade, right? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out, go inside and lie down. It must be indigestion. But do you love me? He repeats. For years, she says, I've washed your clothes, I've cooked your meals, I've cleaned your house, I've given you children, I've milked your cow. Why talk about love now? Eventually, they start singing the same song with matching lyrics. I don't know how that happened. They consider it and they conclude that, in fact, they do love each other. Do you remember this? And then they sing in unison. It doesn't change a thing. But even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. It's a nice tune, but they couldn't be more wrong. They couldn't be more wrong. We know that love does change things. Love changes everything. It's the love that brings Jesus back to the shore to build a fire and bake some bread. It's love that prompts impetuous Peter to jump from the boat and swim to the shore. And instead of love being formed after 25 years of an arranged relationship, Jesus knows that love is what will propel Peter forward. It's love. But first, there needs to be a bid for connection. First, bring in the love. Maybe you've heard the phrase, um, a come to Jesus meeting. Ever heard that phrase before? A come to Jesus' meeting is when you're in trouble and you know you're going to have to sit down and answer for your actions. This is the very first come to Jesus meeting. Quite literally, a come to Jesus meeting. (laughs) Jesus sets the scene very carefully and he asks the question once for every denial. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He pulls Peter out of the ditch again and again. Do you love me? This interaction, Jesus' invitation reveals for us that salvation is not only salvation from something, it's salvation for something. Jesus is not merely saving Peter from his guilt, from his shame, from his feelings of failure. He's saving him for a life of pointing to the good news of Easter, revealing the good news of God's love for the world. There it is. There's the love. There's the love. I find it interesting um, that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And if you read uh, commentators and scholars who who know the Greek better than I ever will, they can't figure out what the these is. Is it these nets that you've returned to? Is it these disciples? Do you love me more than they love me? Is it the disciples themselves? Do you love me more than you love them? What are the these? Nobody really knows, and I have to think that Jesus, in his genius, meant it to be a little bit ambiguous. Do you love me more than these? So, what is our these? How do we hear that? What would Jesus be pointing to if we met him on the shore? Do you love me more than these? And as Peter thinks it through, and Peter responds rather than reacting, which is what he normally does, right? Um, I have to think Peter replayed that scene around the fire. 
Peter had to replay that time he walked on water, replayed that confession of faith in Jesus. Do you love me more than these? He'd always sworn, I love you more than anything. I will go with you to the cross. And history tells us that he did. But not before this meeting, not before this conversation, not before this bid for connection, not before Jesus stands on the shore and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He wants to save Peter not, uh, not just from something, but for something. Frederick Buechner once said that to repent is to come to your senses. It's not so much something you do as something that happens. True repentance spends less time looking at the past saying, I'm sorry, and more time looking at the future and saying, wow. I think that's Jesus' intention here. Just like we saw last week when Peter interacts with doubting Thomas, and then Thomas goes on to have the strongest confession of faith we read anywhere in Scripture. I don't think Jesus is trying to beat up on Peter here. I think he's trying to help Peter rehearse and repeat what had occurred so that as he went out into the world, he would not be ruminating on the past, but that he would be led into the future. That he would say wow to God's future that was laid out in front of him. And that invitation to Peter in this story is an invitation to us as well, even today. Too often, uh, we get caught uh, in our ditches, don't we? We all have different ditches that we get caught in, and Jesus comes to pull us out of them, but not just to free us from that ditch, but to free us for something even better. That invitation to Peter is an invitation to us too, to not only look at the past and say we're sorry, but to look at the future and say, wow. And if you're at all like me, after the year we've had, it's tough to look at the future and say, wow. And yet I'm convinced that that's why Jesus pulls us out of the ditch time and time again. That's why Jesus meets us on the shore time and time again. That's why Jesus asks that question, do you love me? Where do you find yourself in the story today? Where have you been offered bids for connection that you have ignored, that you have rejected? Are they bids from Jesus to grow deeper? Are they bids from a spouse, or a family member, or a friend. Or maybe you feel like you're on the opposite side of this conversation. Where have you offered bids for connection, but not received a response? Like when our 11-pound rat terrier tries to spark up a conversation. Are you sitting in that boat 100 yards from shore, back in your old life, because you kept falling in that ditch, because you're convinced it's too late, or it's been too long? It has not been too long to re-engage a bid for connection that was once ignored or rejected. It is not too late. Or are you standing on the shore, wondering when that person out in the boat is going to row back in? If so, build a fire, bake some bread, call out again. One more time. One more time. Wherever you find yourself, whether in that boat, 100 yards from shore, or standing in the sand, waiting for that boat to come back in. May we come to know, may we come to trust that Jesus is our host, that he meets us on that shore, he meets us in that sand. Jesus is the one who is our host, teaching us how to connect and reconnect and reconnect, even after we've jumped in that ditch for the thousandth time. God, we give you thanks for this story we give you thanks for Peter, because in Peter we see ourselves so well, so clearly. 
so often we make bold promises like Peter and are unable to follow through with what we'd hoped to do. And God, we recognize, we see how clearly you are constantly reaching out, bids for connection, and that there are those around us, around us seeking to do the same. So would you help us not to react, but to respond? Would you give us courage to be people who not only look to the past and say we're sorry, but look to the future and say wow? It's in your name we pray. Amen.